Lord, as we just sang, I pray truly that represents what's in our heart. You are not only welcome here, God. We need you to flood this place. We need to have experience with you this morning, not just hear some challenging words or whatever the case may be. Truly, we need to hear from you through the power of your Holy Spirit. We invite you, we beg you, please, speak to us this morning. Not because we're so good and we're always right and we deserve it, simply because we need it. I'm so thankful for the, the passage that Shirley read during the welcome, God, that we have been adopted in to be a part of your family. We have full rights and privileges as sons and daughters of the king. We get to call you Abba, Father. You love us. You don't just put up with us. You want to be here with us. So God, we pray, come. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be continuing on uh, this week, uh, kind of in the same vein of where we've been over the last few weeks. So if you haven't uh, been with us or been able to, to listen online the last couple weeks, last two in particular, I would encourage you um, uh, to catch up later. We, you can do that on our website, ElkinsAlliance.com, and find the messages there. We're on Apple Podcast. Uh, just search Elkins Alliance Church. You'll be able to find them there. Um, it's just helpful to have background um, on where we're going. And so if you haven't done that, I would just encourage you so that you can kind of get a full picture uh, of what we're talking about. But we, we've really been focusing a lot um, on social justice issues. Uh, this shouldn't be a surprise if you've turned on the news in the last three weeks. Uh, it is everywhere. Social justice, racial justice is, is everywhere. And so we've been doing our best in, you know, 45-minute snippets uh, to kind of start some conversations in that. I was talking with somebody here this morning. It has never been my goal to completely cover uh, the topic of racial justice in 45 minutes. Uh, that would be a miracle. And I don't, I don't expect those to happen. But it's more just to start conversations. Uh, to, to open our eyes, to admit some things, to, to have a common language. That's really the goal here. Because I truly believe that, as you can see there, social justice issues are gospel issues. If at any point in time you've heard something and, you've, and you, it's made you scratch your head and go, so wait, 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 is he saying that all Christians have to, for instance, be a part of the organization Black Lives Matter? Like if, you're, if you don't align yourself with that organization, you can't be a Christian. Or if you've heard something that's led you down that path, I just want to clarify real quick. Uh, that is not, in fact, what I have said, uh, or certainly not what I have intended. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say we need to be in lockstep with any movement the world has to offer. Uh, if you go to Black Lives Matter's website, you're probably going to find some things that you would disagree with as an organization. My point has always been, we simply need to listen to the cry of people. And the majority of people who are talking about Black Lives Matter aren't even necessarily talking about the, the organization. They're simply a cry for justice. There is a people who feel devalued. And as we've talked about over the last few weeks, as, as the people of God, it's our job to bring value to those that culture deems as valueless. Okay, so I've not, been, I've not been arguing for you have to participate in this organization or that you have to go to a protest or a rally or that you have, like, 
No, 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 no. Simply more trying to call attention to listen to what people are saying, what they're actually crying for, and what they're crying for is value. Our lives matter. And that is a gospel issue. I believe that there are systems in our country, we talked about them last week, that, that probably need to shift and change. But I also believe that just by shifting and changing some of the systems and laws that we have, that will not bring value to people. There's only one thing that brings value to people, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where we have power as a church. This is where we need to be leading the way as a church. When we see injustice or unjust systems or laws or something, we, as Christian people, should address it. But that's not all the further that we go. We are called to speak the love, truth, and value of Jesus Christ over people. To help them see that your life does matter, whether anyone else sees it or not, because you were created in the image of God. I, I've, you may have seen something that's kind of been spreading around through social media and everything. It's, it's imperfect, um, like all illustrations are. Every illustration breaks down at some point. Uh, but it's the illustration of somebody um, whose house is on fire, and they go to their neighbors and they say, I need help, my house is burning. And to have somebody turn to them and say, but every house matters. Why should we focus on yours? It's pretty easy to look at that and go, wow, it's really just kind of denying someone's pain. Uh, and it's a way to kind of like wash your hands of something and move out of it. And so while I would very, very, very much agree, and we've talked about this again over the past few weeks, just trying to clarify, I would very much agree every life matters, 100%. I don't care color, race, creed, religion, uh, political party, it does not matter. Every life has value because God says so, amen? amen. But we find ourselves with a community, there's probably many communities, but a very specific one right now that's grabbing headlines that's saying, our house is burning, we need help. And so to, to just come back with, well, every life matters, true, but unhelpful. And actually, we have to be careful because can damage, can deny pain, which devalues people. And so this is where things get real tricky of how do we actually move in with the gospel into these kinds of conversations. And we have to be careful because as a, as a Christian church, Definitely over the last few decades, but probably even further, there's been this kind of polarizing stance when it comes to taking the gospel to the world. And some believe you do it simply through social justice. We need to change laws. We need to uh, go out and, and protest. And we need to, to, to add value to people, which, is a, which are good things. But they say simply by doing that... People will have value. They'll, they'll receive Jesus and they'll move from there. We don't actually need to proclaim anything. We just need to live out social justice. There's been a quote by St. Francis of Assisi that actually most believe is a misquote, but it's still the quote that's been flying around, and it's this. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Now, Again, I think this was a misquote. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi never actually said those words. He said something much longer, and it was kind of condensed. But I think what he was doing was it was a reaction to the time where the church was going, yeah, people are poor, people are hungry, people are whatever. That's kind of their problem. We just need to keep telling them the story of Jesus. And so all there was was just proclamation of the story. And the world around was going, you don't care. Your Jesus doesn't seem to care. Why would I want him? 
And so most likely, giving Francis of Assisi the benefit of the doubt, this was attempted to be like a course correction. No, we, ha we have to live the gospel out as well. But some have taken this lock, sock, and barrel and said, yeah, I'll use words if necessary. It's always necessary to proclaim the gospel with our mouth, but it's just as necessary to live the gospel out with our deeds. That people see the gospel in the way that we live and that they hear the good news of the gospel. Let me tell you, you can't live a just enough life that people are going to go, I think there's a God and his son's name is Jesus. He probably died on the cross for my sin. Like, people don't just intuit that. They need told. There's no other name under heaven and earth by which they can be saved but Jesus. But then there's the other side that says, okay, cool. Amen to that verse. So we just got to keep telling them. Yeah, they're poor, but Jesus said there's always going to be the poor, right? So we don't need to worry about that. Just keep giving them the gospel. There's another theologian uh, from history named Blaise Pascal who said this in kind of the marrying of, of word and deed. He said, make good men wish it were true and then show them that it is. Now, Blaze would win any argument that we ever got into, but I would like to correct him a little bit. I would take good out. Make all men and women wish that it were true and then show them that it is. To live the kind of life with justice and righteousness and hope and peace in the midst of turmoil that people go, man, this whole Christianity thing, I don't know, it's kind of hard, but I'll tell you what, I wish that it was true. I want it to be true. I may have some objections, some things to work through, but like, if that's the kind of life that it offers, I want it to be true. And then we come in with the gospel and we show them that it is. We come in with the words of scripture and we teach them. It's this marrying of word and deed. And this is something the world is crying for right now. For far too long, the church has set back with just word, or they've gotten their hands dirty, but just with deed, and they've been hesitant to speak the gospel. And what we need is both and. To marry these. The world is crying for justice. The church has justice. We at least hold the keys to it, whether we live it out or not. There is justice in the gospel. We must live it out, and we must proclaim it. Amen? Amen. Okay, so all of that is simply to kind of clarify if there was any misconceptions over the last couple weeks. And again, if you haven't been here, you're probably scratching your head like, duh, of course. Maybe not. Okay. But here's where we're going today. Here's where we're going to get into the weeds. Uh, and I'm going to say some unpopular things today. Who's a fan of that? All right. Good. I feel like every week I'm saying unpopular things. Kim, Kim's just looking at me like, why? Um, yeah, let's talk politics, right? Two things you're not supposed to talk about, religion and politics. Welcome to church, baby. <laughs> One of the most difficult things, if we're going to truly live out gospel justice and have opportunity to proclaim kingdom value to people, we're going to have to, as believers, separate Christian identity from political identity. This is a plague in the church, if I can just say it in some pretty strong terms. We have to be able to separate Christian identity from political identity. 
There is no political party, certainly not in our country, that upholds all the values of the scriptures, correct? Amen? If you disagree, we can talk later. I'd love to hear your point of view on that. We have so closely tied our political identity to our Christian identity that for some it's inseparable. And there's a couple dangers to this. One of them, though I've never heard this explicitly said, I've seen it kind of if you read between the lines uh, in a lot of whether it's campaigning or ads or whatever it may be. And it's, it's this lie that the way that you vote is one of the most important, th important things about you as a believer. One of your like chief goals as a believer should be to vote the right people into office. If you can do that, you've done your Christian duty. It's this whole idea because, again, the political systems will fix everything, and so your job as a believer is to get somebody in there that advances the kingdom's agenda. Now, is it a right and a privilege to be able to vote? Yes. Is it important? Yes. Is it, is it even anywhere near the top tier of most important things for a believer to be about? We say no, but again, look at, the, look at Facebook. There's not very often I'm going to point you to Facebook. Look at how closely tied political stances are to religious stances. They're almost impossible to discern between. And it's so dangerous for us. Have you ever heard this said about people? And this kind of, for me, shows just how closely tied they are. How can they be a Christian and vote that way? You ever heard that? What that's saying is, again, if you, if you broke Christianity down to its kind of core, it would be voting this way or that way. Therefore, if you don't vote the way that I believe, are you even a Christian? Think about, think about how important that is making a political stance. Now, again, I'm not trying to say it's of no importance, but to question whether a brother or sister is a part of the family of God because they voted this way or voted that way, that's intense. That's dangerous. Another issue that we run into when we look at how closely tied political identity is with religious identity, if you are going to tie your religion that closely to a political party, you are going to, especially when it comes to social justice issues, you're going to have to promote some and downplay others. There is, again, no party out there that goes, all of the biblical justice issues we uphold. There ends up being factions, and we have to go, these are more important than those, or, or actually, you know what, maybe those aren't important at all. Let's just forget about them altogether. And kind of each party has grabbed hold of their, their issues that they raise up, and if we're not careful, we get sucked into it. Uh, take a look at this next slide. Chris, if you'd put it up there for me. You find yourself, when you're looking at Republican justice issues, you will find pro-life, you will find sanctity of marriage, and biblical sexuality. These are kind of tied together. And to the detriment of care for the marginalized and radical justice, if we're not careful. Because those are Democrat issues. If you're a Democrat, you go, man, we have to be caring for those who can't care for themselves. We have to be uh, looking out for the poor, the marginalized, the, the immigrant, the refugee. Your heart breaks for it, for racial justice. But you can't have that 
and a pro-life stance and be a part of the, like, a strong member of the Democrat Party or hold to biblical sexuality, the two seem to be incompatible. And it's because we've said, I'm a Christian Republican, I'm a Christian Democrat, and they're so tied together that it feels impossible to uphold all justice I have to pick one and put the other down because that would be admitting that the other side is right, that the other side has a leg to stand on, and now I might lose political arguments, and on and on and on the whole thing goes. It becomes very messy. Now, I'm going to take a minute and very, very, very quickly just look at each one of these justice issues. I believe they are social justice issues. And just show a really quick biblical uh, support for each one of those. And there may be people in here that disagree with some of these stances. What I'm doing is arguing from orthodoxy. What that means is the church as a whole, the mainstream church throughout history, has held these stances. We as a church, actually as a denomination, hold these stances. And so I'm just going to give real quick kind of biblical basis for these. My point is not to get into the weeds of all of these arguments. I'd love to talk, to these, talk with you about these uh, if that would be helpful. But my point is simply to show as believers, none of us can go, that's not important. Let's just put that one on the shelf. It doesn't really matter because these ones are important. We don't really have that option left open to us. The scripture calls all of these issues important. So let's look, pro-life. One, again, just very quick example. You can find this all throughout scripture, but Psalm 139. David writing in a very poetic language, and he talks about how the Lord knit each of us together in our mother's womb. How he handcrafted every person, and we believe that life starts at conception. Because God begins the knitting together at conception. Again, there's, there's other places that we could go with this. But this is where the church has stood to go, every life matters. Much like we've talked about, born and unborn. It is a scriptural justice issue. None of us have the ability to just look at it and go, nah. At best, we have to wrestle with it and come up with, maybe he meant this, maybe he meant that. But the truth is... If we're coming from a biblical worldview, we have to wrestle with this because we're called to speak for those that can't speak for themselves. Sanctity of marriage and biblical sexuality. Sanctity of marriage really just means that the, the biblical example that we have of marriage between a man and a woman forever, that has been the orthodox view of the church. We look at Genesis 1 through 3, the creation story where God created man and woman for specific roles and then said, be fruitful and multiply. They were together for life because that's how he created them. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about sex outside of marriage and that it is sin. Whether it's, you could look at Jesus in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 through 7, where he talks about even looking at a woman lustfully is adultery and the sin that that is. Paul talking in 1 Corinthians 7 where he goes, look, it's better for you to get married before you're ready than to burn with lust and actually be drawn into sex outside of marriage. He said that that's how important this thing is. 
There is marriage between a man and a woman, and he goes on in in 1 Corinthians 7 to talk about the picture that it is of Christ and his church, of how these two different people coming together. We have to do something with that, with biblical sexuality. And listen, these are hard. These are polarizing. I don't look forward to jumping into this. Honestly, there are some times when I wish the scriptures just kind of went, eh, you guys figure it out, whatever seems best to you. Because I don't always have an answer on why God said this or why God said that. I don't. But we find in 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans 1, where the Apostle Paul calls out homosexuality and he says, this is a sinful lifestyle that actually will destroy the human soul. And that sounds hard, but the scripture didn't leave me another way to say it. These are justice issues that the scripture speaks to and that we as believers have to wrestle with. Care for the marginalized. We've looked at the last couple weeks at Matthew chapter 25. Again, you could go to a lot of different places. But where Jesus says, did you feed the hungry? Did you clothe the naked? Did you visit those in prison? Did you help those that are sick? He said, because if not, you withheld that help from me. And he gives actually very, very harsh statement against those that withheld that help. He says, away from me, I never knew you, which is so hard. Again, listen over the last couple of weeks where we dealt with that a little more in depth. But Jesus says, you have to deal with this, this justice issue of the marginalized and how we care for them. Racial justice. You have Galatians chapter 3 where Paul says, look, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. He goes through all of these different things. He goes, in the church, it's equal. Equal value for everyone. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what place you're from. I don't even care what religion you are. We were created equal. Again, God knit us together in our mother's womb. We have value because he made us. Regardless of race, color, creed. James chapter 1 and 2, James gets into it with uh, uh, favoritism and partiality. And he talks about what an abomination it is before God to favor one set of people over another because of their socioeconomic status, because of their uh, ethnic status. He says it's sin and it should not be in the church. All men were created equal and deserve equal justice. The scriptures don't let us just set some go by the wayside. I'd rather not deal with that because it doesn't really mix with my political party. We as believers are called to stand for all kinds of justice, regardless of political leaning. We must move justice issues into the realm of personal responsibility. I think one of the reasons that we find ourselves, again, with political identity and religious identity so closely tied together is because that way we can outsource it. I believe, maybe one side or the other, I believe that you know the Republican values, I believe the Democratic values, whatever it may be, those kind of speak to me. And now as long as I pay my taxes and vote, I've done my part because now it's their job. They need to go fix the systems. They need to go care for the marginalized or protect the the unborn child or whatever the case may be. It allows us to outsource it. Now it's somebody else's problem. I've paid my taxes and I voted. How come they're not moving the ball further down the court? 
This is not what we're called to be. We as the church are called to get our hands dirty ourselves. Social justice is a personal responsibility for the believer. It's not been left open to us to outsource and point the finger. How come they don't do it? We have to stop waiting for the church to do it. Like, the church. How come the church doesn't start a program to go and do that? If that's something that's on your heart, if that is a concern you have, if, if you've noticed a cry for justice and your heart breaks for it, what are you doing personally? That's how the church moves forward. We said this before a couple weeks ago. There is no the church apart from us believers, right? There's no other people that are going to step in and do it while we sit by in comfort. The church moves when we as individuals move. We have been called to these justice issues. We can't wait for someone else to do it outside the church or in. It's our responsibility. Voting, back to the political part, voting, while again a right and a privilege, is literally the least we can do. I showed up that one day a year. I punched a couple, like, I did my part, right? It's literally the least that we can do, yet it's one of the things that we hold people to the most. Again, how can you call yourself a Christian if you vote this way or that way? It's literally the least that we can do. And again, I am not trying to downplay the right and privilege that we have. I'm trying to say showing up at a polling place once a year doesn't cut it. Your fight against injustice, if that's all the further it goes, you're not fighting injustice. We have to take personal responsibility, and it's going to take a long time to see change. I heard a pastor friend of mine from Cleveland, uh, spoke this a couple weeks ago and it stuck with me. I don't know if he stole it from somewhere else. I'm just telling you it's not original to me. Change happens at the speed of relationship. We go, well, if I vote for this person, like, the president's been in for how many years now? How come it's not fixed yet? We want massive sweeping changes to happen all at once while we sit at home comfortably. But the truth is, change happens at the speed of relationship. The church moves forward and brings justice at the rate you're willing to have conversations with people. Again, no one else is going to do it for you. This isn't an outsource thing. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. And we're going to see change happen at the rate that I'm willing to sit down and have conversation with people. The rate that I'm willing to get my hands dirty and walk into uncomfortable, messy situations where I don't have all the answers. That's the only way we're going to see change happen. So how do some of these justice issues play out? I want to kind of just look at some options this morning for some ways that, that we can deal with some of these justice issues. Again, removing party lines and all that, looking simply at the scripture. And again, you may disagree on one point or another, but speaking from the, the Orthodox Church, the way the church has moved throughout history, we believe in pro-life. Every single life matters at conception. We believe that God created marriage specifically, and it's between a man and a woman. We believe that God cares for the marginalized, and that he wants to see racial justice, reconciliation happen. We find this all throughout scripture. The question is, how do we move into it? Again, not as an organization. There may be some steps that we can take as church leadership to create some avenues, but really the onus is on each of us. How do I lean into some of these areas. 
let's look at the, the pro-life stance. A couple options. You could vote for stricter abortion policy. That, that option is open to us and actually like makes a lot of sense to me. This seems like something that shouldn't be happening. We have the ability to vote and I can vote my conscience on the issue. But I should also sit down with someone contemplating abortion or recovering from it. If I feel that strongly about it, when was the last time I got into the weeds with somebody, not and argued and told them how wrong they were and whatever else, but sat down and just listened to their conversation, had a conversation with them about where their heart was, about their fears, about what's leading them down that path potentially, and was able to speak the truth of the gospel into it. Was able to let them know that they have a father that loves and cares for them who would love to provide for them in those times because they feel that they, they just can't handle the weight. They don't see a way forward financially or whatever the case may be and begin to walk with them through that. Maybe even be the thing that God uses to provide for them in the midst of it. That gets real scary. Talking with someone who has been through abortion, oftentimes so much guilt and shame carried with them and being able to sit down and bring the healing of the gospel with them. Not just stand and lob things across party lines and demonize one side or the other, but to actually walk with someone. To talk about adoption. There are other options out there fostering adoption. To actually get involved in fostering and adoption. Because we believe that every life matters, right? And there's a lot of lives being lost through the cracks. So maybe it needs to move from simply intellectual to some of us need to get involved in it. These are simply options and, and the list could go on. But you start to see how it becomes personal responsibility. Not just show up, vote, post some things on Facebook and wonder why it hasn't changed. We as God's people are called to take the love and hope of the gospel into dark places, into scary places and to present it to those who need it. Sanctity of marriage and biblical sexuality. You could vote for stricter divorce laws. That may help some statistics. But guess what? For every person struggling in their marriage, they don't feel like a statistic. It is incredibly personal to them. And making laws so that unhappy people have to stay together doesn't really seem like what we're called to do in scripture. What if we sat down with those struggling in marriage and began to walk with them, hearing the mess, praying with them, not deciding who's right and wrong and let me tell you what you need to do, but let me just hear your story. How can we begin to walk together? Here's some things that look broken. Look, I'm not perfect, but this has worked for me. Maybe I can help walk with you guys through that. Change happens at the speed of relationship. The, the biblical sexuality piece. We could vote for restrictions on LGBTQ issues to make it harder to sometimes gain employment or there's marriage. I mean, there's so much tied up into this and it's, it's been in the headlines a lot lately too. You could vote for restrictions there. Or, please hear me. Every time I say or, you could also put and. Okay? Again, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. Vote your conscience. 
don't let it end with voting. What if you sat down and listened to someone who is struggling with gender identity and the confusion that comes with that, who's, who's working through same-sex attraction and how to handle that? What if we sat down and listened? Again, instead of demonizing and just lobbing criticism and posting this and posting that, to sit down and just go, just tell me your story. What, like, when did it start? What, what led you to where you are now? I just want to value you as a person and hear your story and look for opportunities that God gives me to show you the truth of the gospel. I don't have to convince you that this is right and that is wrong. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to love you and to walk with you through whatever circumstance life has thrown at you. And if that happens to be some of these very taboo or politicized issues, if I love you, I'm willing to walk into that with you. Even if we disagree, I still love you because God loves you. And I'm going to walk with you. Care for the marginalized. You could vote to increase government spending on social welfare projects and reforms. You could also take someone shopping. You know what? You look like you're having a hard time. Can I buy you some groceries? I, I read on Facebook that your family is struggling with something. Like, can I, can I buy your kids some clothes? Someone may say, nah, get out of here. I don't need your help. That's their prerogative. But how are we, as God's people, as the church, walking with those that can't provide for themselves? Again, giving value to those that the culture says have no value. Some of you have done this. I've talked to, to one or two of you. You can show someone how to budget. You know what? Like, man, I get it. It, do, it just doesn't seem like there's enough money every month. And personally, I can say I've been there. Let me show you what little bit I've learned. I'm not great with money, but I might be able to, to help a little bit. Let me show you some things that I've learned. I want to walk with you, not just lob things across the aisle at you. Have a conversation with someone that's homeless. We have a homeless population, and there's a problem with it, and it needs to be fixed. I don't disagree with that. But how many of us in here have actually had a conversation with someone that's homeless to find out what the problem actually is? I'd much rather somebody else do that, right? And I just read a report about it in the paper and go, hmm, that's the problem. We need to fix that. Instead of actually just sitting down and going, hey, can I get you a cup of coffee? I'd just love to hear your story. I can't fix the whole homeless problem in Elkins, let alone in the country or whatever else, but I can walk with one person. Will it be messy, church? Yes. You bet it. You bet it will be. Will, will I be terrified in the middle of it? Absolutely. Because I'm very aware that I don't have all the answers. I'm not equipped for it. But I also have the most powerful change agent the world has ever seen in the Holy Spirit. Working powerfully in my life and calling me to work powerfully in other people's lives. We could vote for stricter drug policies. We could also volunteer at a shelter. We could partner with an addiction facility. It's so widespread, most of us know a family that's been affected by it. 
if not the actual individual, we could sit down with that family and say, how can we come alongside you and help? Maybe it's pray. Maybe it's speak. Maybe, I don't know. We just, you're not alone in this. How can we walk with you? That shows such value and honor to people. That shows the value that God has placed on them. And again, I don't need to beat them over the head with do this, do that, or this is right and this is wrong. My call is to love them and walk with them. And yes, when the Holy Spirit prompts me to speak. But how are we getting into the weeds to show value to those who don't have it? There are people in our church right now who are struggling with some of the things that we've already mentioned. And they feel like the church, again, quote unquote, the church as a whole is against them. How do we begin to walk with them? I can't speak for the whole national church, but I can let you know I'm here for you. And I don't have the answers, but I want to walk with you. Racial justice. You'd vote for systemic changes to overturn laws that you feel are unjust or this or that. You could also just sit down and listen to a person of color's story. You don't have to explain to me how every single person feels, but I'd love to hear your story. And then just listen. The care that it shows, the value that it shows to just listen to someone's story and hurt with them. I didn't do that to you, but for some reason we, we feel the need to get defensive and go, well, well, but this was probably happening too. To lay that all down and to just hurt with them. My heart breaks that that happened to you. There may be another side of the story, there may whatever, but I'm just going to show empathy and just listen to your story and hurt with you. The value that that gives someone cannot be quantified. To stand for the value of a person of color's life in whatever way, that could be social media, that could be a protest, that could just be in relationship, that could be speaking up on somebody's behalf, not dealing with, not putting up with the jokes or whatever it may be, to stand with a person of color's life, even if I don't agree with them politically or otherwise. Even though I think they might go too far over there or we're on different sides of the aisle over here, I will stand with them and say that their life matters regardless of skin color, race, religion, creed, whatever it may be, because God knit them together in their mother's womb. He says they have value, and so I will stand for that. But what about this and this and this that you don't agree with? Well, then we don't have to agree on that. But they are valuable in the sight of God, and I will not let anyone devalue them. If we will begin to take some of these messy, hard steps, we will see change happen. We will see the gospel go forward. As long as we sit back in comfort, hoping somebody else takes care of it, we as a church will continue to dwindle and die because ultimately we don't matter. We're not bringing life to people, and that's the point of the church. To get involved in living out the gospel in justice issues is messy and costly, and it's also a non-negotiable for the kingdom. These are not just political issues. These are people. Yeah. 
people that Jesus died for, and people that we're called to love with a kingdom love. I'm going to invite the music team up. We're going to close by singing a song uh, called Tremble. And the the point of the whole song, when we get to the, the chorus, is Jesus, Jesus, you drive back the darkness. If we're really going to take steps toward these justice issues with the gospel, we are going to be wholly dependent on Jesus on His Holy Spirit leading and guiding us and telling us to speak and telling us when to shut up, to telling us who's really hurting that we need to sit down and invest in, maybe a complete stranger, I don't know. It is going to take complete dependence on His Holy Spirit leading us. If we're going to do this well, Jesus, Jesus, drive back the darkness and use me to do it.